Uh, greetings, you're watching the online ministry from St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, welcome, my name is Adam Draycott. It's great to be sharing this time with you. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 6th of February 2022. And our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 95. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Let's have a time of praise. Come to the ministry of God's Word. Our Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 
to 8. Our psalm is from Psalm 138. And our New Testament reading and our preaching passage is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Please take a moment to read through those passages of Scripture, most especially Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Read it out loud. Don't be shy and be encouraged on account of reading and hearing God's Word. The setting of our Bible reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, is the Sea of Galilee. And I've told you I've been there. Here are some pictures. The Sea of Galilee is a, a beautiful place. Uh, in this picture, uh, you can see there's a valley. And that, uh, if you follow that through, that'll take you up to Nazareth. And so it's just amazing to, to be in a boat, to look in that direction and to... No, Jesus walked through there. He walked that way, that he was here. Uh, also, uh, in Galilee, you can see what they call uh, the Jesus boat. Uh, during a drought, the waterline receded so much. Um, archaeologists uh, found this uh, lying in the seabed. They dug it up and uh, in 1986, I think it was, and this is a first century fishing boat dug up from the seabed of, Ga uh, of Galilee. And uh, it's incredible. There it is. What were the fishing boats like? Well, you can know what they were like because there's a picture. Uh, that is it. Uh, amazing. Also, if you're at the Sea of Galilee, you've got to go for a spot of fishing. And um, this is the technique. Uh, they use a net and a string. And were we successful? Of course, the answer is no. As we come to God's word, let me pray. Loving Father, we ask that as we open up your word, you would show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus, that you would lead us in the way of repentance and faith, that we grow in Christ, that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. I've um, mentioned before I'm not the world's greatest fisherman, but when I, if I'm on holidays and we're up at Bribey Island, uh, in the passage there, I love to go after uh, flathead. Uh, my family, of course, like to laugh at this prospect because Dad spends money on tackle, and often, uh, well, the dinner plate doesn't reflect the investment made. So, yeah, that's right. And that's a lot of fun for them. In fact, it became a lot of fun for a colleague of mine who knows I like to enjoy my holidays this way and insisted on sending me this picture. Uh, this is his daughter, Caitlin, age six at the time, uh, caught... That's actually a 75-centimetre flathead caught on a $12 Kmart toy rod, if you like. First cast, only cast. Anyway, it... It was some fair eating, apparently. Why am I sharing this? How frustrating it must be to be a fisherman. Not a weekend warrior, but a professional fisherman, you know, like the Zebedee Brothers Fishing, fishing Cooperative. Then they're out all night and they return with nothing. That would be frustrating. 
We pick up the story, chapter 5, verse 1 of Luke's Gospel. One day, Jesus is standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Sea of Galilee had multiple names. Uh, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. The one belonged to Simon, asked him to put it out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. This is how the story begins. The story begins with a crowd around Jesus. And what are they doing in verse 1? They're listening to the word of God. Underline it. Let that grab you. Here is what is most important to Jesus. There are lots of things that you might think are important as a Christian. I mean, from time to time, you might do a national church life survey. And you get to tell the national church life survey what you think is important. And you might say, well, um, preaching is important. Or you might say sharing in the Lord's Supper is important. Or a traditional style of worship or music is important. Or small groups or inviting others, or building a sense of community. You know, the list goes on. This is 2016. It says here, uh, 63% of our, our um, church family's population believe that sermons and preaching or Bible teaching are, is the most important. 30% uh, of people thought encouraging people here to share their faith and invite others um, was important. That's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Makes you think. Now, all of those things I just mentioned are not unimportant. I guess the question before us here in this passage is, what is the most important? Or further, according to God, according to our Lord Jesus, what is most important? Clearly, it's not catching fish, no, but catching people. You know that from how the story ends. Look at our context. You also know that from our context. Look at verse 42 of chapter 4. The story immediately prior, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. People are looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. Proclaiming the good news is the why. And then you see him do it from a fishing boat here in chapter 5. Here is Jesus' priority. Jesus' priority is to proclaim the good news. Of course, it's not what the world wants. And some who purport to be Christian, it's not what they want. It's not even their preference. But here it is in black and white. Jesus has come to catch people. How is he going to do that? Well, not with a net. No, with his, with his word. God's word. Not just any word. God's word. And this is what we find in the first three verses of chapter 5. Do not miss this part of the story. How exciting then, as we grapple with that, You, what do we have here? 
Now, here we are online, and here we are with our, our Bibles open, being fed and nurtured through the ministry of God's Word. But it's God's Word. We have it on our laps. We get to open it and read it and value it and treasure it. And we get to respond to it. We're called to live it out. But capture this vision again, this picture, and see the lengths Jesus will go to to get the word out. He's, he's going to climb into some boats. The chippy is taken over. He'll do anything he can to get the word out to people. And so here's an application straight away. I wonder if our life then is marked by these early verses. And by that I mean, do you value God's word? Do you value God's word? Does God's word hold a significant place over your life and over your heart? Such that you'll even use whatever means and whatever resources are available to share God's word, to get this message of Jesus out there. That's the first thing. First thing, Jesus is on a mission. He's got a message. Priority number one, right? Here's the second thing. I want you to see the mastery of Jesus. The mastery of Jesus. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. You wouldn't have to go too far. Put it out. You're going to be in deep water pretty quick. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. What are you talking about? We haven't caught anything. What are you talking about? But because you say so, I mean, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. In the earlier story, he's healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So I guess he's going to do whatever Jesus asks him to do. Um, notice Jesus' command, deep water, nets down, and in light of all the evidence, this is a ridiculous request. Yeah, well, that's harsh, Adam. No, no, no. Jesus is a son of a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. He's a landlubber. He's never wet a line in his life. You've got to be joking. What would he know about fishing? He's not the expert here. Telling seasoned professionals that give their life to fishing, telling them what to do, that's absurd. Why else is it absurd? Well, the professionals have given it a good crack and they're exhausted. And it's morning. They've been at it all night because night time's the time you fish, right? And now it's morning and he wants them to put out. You, you've got to be joking. This is absurd, but Jesus is the master. And here comes the miracle. And you know it, verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Man alive, imagine being there for that. And you know what those boats look like now. This is a net-tearing, boat-swamping catch that can greatly enrich him and his team. This is a jackpot moment, a money tree moment. And so then we go, well, what is the message behind this miracle? Jesus demonstrates to Peter that he is the master over everything. And if Peter is to be useful 
later on in ministry, here is a memory that will help remind him the wonderful truth that Jesus is the master of everything. He's going to need to remember these kinds of moments. Jesus is the master of everything. Is that something you believe? In your particular circumstance, whatever that is, Jesus is the master of everything. Maybe you're tempted to believe Jesus is soft, that he's some kind of wuss that would struggle to fit in. Maybe your estimation of Jesus is that he's just a good churchy boy, a choir boy, good for hymns and candles. Uh, No, that's inadequate. Forget it. Jesus is the master of everything. It's like, you know, you turn the TV on, we've got an election looming, you see those politicians strut around building sites or road works and they've got their high-vis shirts on and they try and look interested and they try and fit into the surrounds and they'll put the stack hat on or whatever it's called and then they go into the factory and they put their hairnets on or their safety glasses and have something explained and then they, they nod pretending to have half a clue and... Or the awkwardness uh, as they walk into a pub campaigning and it's like the parting of the sea as all the blokes move out of the way, holding their beers, wondering what on earth is he doing here? Look, and they, they look like something out of place. But not Jesus. He, he never has half a clue and Jesus is never, ever out of place. Jesus is the master of everything. Do you know that? Peter pushes the boat out, making everything available for Jesus. It's all his. And it's funny, isn't it? Because we read this and we go, yeah, everything above the waterline. It's all his. It's all uh, Jesus is the master. But when we grapple with the, the story, we realize everything above the waterline is Jesus and everything below is also Jesus as his simply Lord of all. And he's Lord of you. And of course, if you know that Jesus is Lord, it's, that's a great thing, an important thing if you believe it. It means then Jesus is Lord of all. You can walk into any corner of our community, any corner of this region, any corner of this nation, any corner of this world, Bearing the good news of Jesus. And why can you do that? Because Jesus is Lord of all. Now what is most surprising about this miracle? Is the tremendous catch the most surprising thing? Is it that they walked away from the catch? I mean, this is two boatloads of fish. That is a big payday. And of course, what is Peter's response? Is it, hey, Jesus, let's be business partners. Come follow me, Jesus. I'll I'll show you the ropes. Is is that what happens? Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. This is... Not unlike Isaiah in the temple, Peter has sensed that he is not in the presence of a money tree. He's in the presence of holiness. 
and that he's not holy and that's a problem that he's unclean and that he should be avoided lest he defile such holiness if that's possible. Peter senses there's a great gulf between God and himself, that he he's in the presence of the divine. And he sees that God is at work. And that before this big, powerful, and holy God, Peter is small and ungodly and not at all holy. That's what Peter sees. And of course, this is crucial for anyone to see. This is so important for, for people to see and understand about God. It's crucial for anyone who wants to serve God that God is holy. You know, I can hear people, someone's going to say, oh, Drake, God is love, you know. And if God is love, there's no problem approaching God. I mean, we're best mates. We're so familiar. God is love. Everything's okay. Anything goes. We forget that God is also pure. God is also perfect. And God is holy. And yes, he might be love, but I am not pure and I am not perfect and I am not holy. And so such is God's love. I hope he does something about that. That's my need. Bible doesn't call God love, love, love. In a threefold way. God, the Bible doesn't call God merciful, merciful, merciful in a threefold way. The Bible doesn't call God good, good, good in a threefold way. The only time God is described in a threefold way is in regards to his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Which means there's a massive gap between us. And the first clue in becoming a Christian is recognizing that there is a gap. There's a gaping chasm between us and God, between me and God. And the second clue, of course, is, again, such is God's love. He's done something enormous to bridge that gap. We know Jesus is that bridge. Jesus is the one that's come and laid down his life. That's how God loves the world. He gives his son to lay down his life like a bridge that covers the chasm of sin so that we can be connected to God, so that we can have access to God, that we can be friends with God. Now we're friends with God. Two steps. Recognize the gulf. Cross the bridge. The bridge is Jesus. And Peter is learning this as he relates to Jesus. He's getting a taste of it. And what does Jesus respond? Verse 10, uh, 10b, then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. It's beautiful. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, followed him. Don't be afraid. There is so much behind this command Jesus saying he's going to do the work of making it safe to know him and making it safe for you to approach God and come into his presence and come before his throne of grace. Jesus will do all that. 
So don't be afraid. He's going to take it all on his shoulders. He's going to make fellowship possible. He's going to make peace with God possible. Jesus will fix what Peter recognises to be the problem, the gulf. Jesus is going to do it. And it's interesting that Peter's fishing skills, they're still going to be needed. That doesn't change, but they're not going to be catching fish anymore. They're going to be catching people. You feel for Zebedee at the moment? Don't worry, he's got two boatloads of fish. You'll be fine. <laughs> but no, it's not Jesus joining the Zebedee cooperative fishing business. It's Peter joining Jesus' kingdom of God business. And this is the high calling and this is the high commitment. Peter, yeah, he's won the fisherman's lottery. That's true. He turns his back on it. You've got to see that. But Jesus is going to take this bloke. He's going to take his skills and he's going to use them to catch people for the kingdom. And that is the program. Question, does God not also send us out? Does not God also take us Ordinary sinners like me and you, ordinary sinners, and he turns us and he changes us and he shapes us and he moulds us to serve him. Are you serving Jesus? You've been saved? You've heard God's word? Are you serving him on account of being saved? We're not saved for nothing. And does Jesus not, does he not expose the inadequacy of our values as we look at the pile of fish? Yet he calls us to share his kingdom values, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Not in the habit of giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day appearing. Hebrews 13, that others might know and taste and experience his abundant love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and generosity, even as we see here. He sends us out not to catch fish, but people for his kingdom. And we're confronted with a choice. See, are you still standing in the boat, staring at the fish and dreaming about a money tree? Are you standing in the boat as a sinful person, massively distracted by the material here? Or can you now see yourself walking on the beach and you're walking with Jesus, following in his footsteps, letting him determine the pace taking the kingdom of God to the world, serving him. Which one? Are you caring more about God and more about people, more than property, more than possessions, and more than the ridiculous tree dream of a money tree? These guys, these fishermen, they've met someone worth following. And worth getting to know and 
notice not all of their questions will are resolved immediately not all of their questions are answered but such is the nature of their faith in him it is enough and they will step out in faith and follow him and later they'll become great witnesses in the book of acts and they will declare with boldness the way the way to christ the way to god in christ and they'll do it despite danger fishing for people is downright dangerous Fishing for people is dangerous and it is costly, but ultimately we know it is Christ's work. And because it's Christ's work, it doesn't fail whilst ever we entrust ourselves to him. So let us do that. Let us entrust ourselves to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh,
we come to a time of prayer, um, we remember uh, at this point we are participating in a service. So I'm encouraging you uh, to lead yourself through a time of prayer. Whoever you're with, uh, make a list of things you're thankful for. Make a list of things that you want to petition God with. Do it in light of the scriptures that you've read. Find things to thank God for in Luke 5 and find things that you know you need help with. And um, may you be blessed as you do that. Um, also, please keep praying for Matt and Deanna Stones and their children as they settle into life here uh, in Inverell. It's so good to have them. I'm really excited about uh, this next season of ministry. Um, also, at the end of this video is information about uh, giving. If you're a Christian and you, you know um, your desire is to worship the Lord with every part of your being, Romans 12, 1 or 2, and if you're someone uh, that wants to express that worship because you're worshipping God not only with your mouth on your hands but also your pockets, uh, well, we've provided a way uh, with direct debit for you to express your love for God and your worship of the Lord in that way. And those details will be available at the end of this video. Uh, let me close with the words of this blessing. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, our Lord to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.